0: Hello and welcome to Cage Club, two fans, 76 movies, one cage. Today's movie is The Frozen Ground from 2013. I'm Joey Lewandowski.
1: And I'm Mike Manzi.
0: And with us back again, Cage Club guest number one, or will be number one in terms of in both in our hearts and in number of oh. times on the show. Well, in, to be to be fair, all of our guests are number yeah, one. careful. <laughs> Everybody shares a number one, but Tobin Addington's back. Hello, Tobin.
2: Hey, guys, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Not necessarily for this movie, but
0: I'm, I'm glad to be back. Now, I will point out to our listeners <laughs> that every movie that you've done has been your choice. And this was before a lot of these later movies had been taken or been selected. So all of these movies that you're seeing, you wanted to see and so anything, <laughs> we did not put you in this corner, by the way, our first, I think, officially straight-to-DVD Nicolas yes. Cage movie, yes. we did not do this to you, you did this to yourself. <laughs> so any, any kind of resentment you have toward this movie should be cast inward instead of outward.
2: Oh, believe me, I'm channeling it in the proper direction. I send none of it to you guys. I, I look forward to any chance to talk to you guys about, about Nicolas Cage and about these movies, whatever the movie is. So no, I'm, I, am, I am just glad to be here.
0: So this movie, uh, I guess the big story or the the big notable thing of this movie is that it reunites Cage and Cusack from Con Air, but the roles are kind of reversed, that Cage is now the cop and Cusack is the criminal. It's a weird sort of change of pace, but as fun and as interesting and as colorful as Con Air is, this one is kind of the opposite in every regard.
2: (laughs) Yes, including not having a fantastic Diane Warren theme song that we can all sing at the end. I mean, thank God it didn't. It would have been completely out of place. <laughs> but you're totally right. This movie is this movie has none of the fun of Con Air, for sure.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's reflected in its environment as well, right? The dark, cold, dreary land of Alaska. That's not to say you can't have good movies set there and so forth, but it doesn't really help this one to be <laughs> either uh it's just dark as is and it it's not a bright film to begin with it oof,
0: i it, i don't even know where to begin with this one well, so this movie came out in 2013 i guess one other thing that i want to say right off the bat is that it stars vanessa hudgens as well this is the same year that spring breakers came out and so these are i guess her sort of her movies to break free of the high school musical the disney world that she has built for herself Hmm. And while Spring Breakers is this movie that, like it or hate it, I, and I absolutely love it, it's this movie that has artistic merit, sort of. You can tell what they were doing there. Here, she's just a crystal meth addicted stripper slash prostitute, and just, oh, I mean, like, talk about the, not, not even Diane Kruger, effect, just like, just completely horrible to women. Like, this might be the yeah. movie that's, like, worst to women of maybe every Cage movie to this point.
2: Yeah, the movie does almost seem to revel in the torture afflicted upon the women in this movie, whether it's by the Robert Hansen, the, 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 jo- uh, the John Cusack character, or by the, or the script. Or, or drug abuse or prostitution or the sort of seedy underbelly of Anchorage, Alaska. There's an ick factor to this movie that does not feel artistically warranted. That just feels kind of icky. And, and it certainly it certainly pervades Vanessa Hudgens' performance. And I don't buy her in a lot of that. So We'll get to it, I guess. But but I don't buy her in this, in the way that I bought her in, in Spring Breakers. You like that movie, Joey, a lot more than I did. But at least it was, as you say, it had artistic ambitions that it was aware of. <laughs> and, right. I, and I'm not sure this movie does
1: this movie kind of confused me with where it was trying to go and what kind of point it was trying to make it had sort of that eight millimeter feel to me you know but like tobin i think you would appreciate that a little more because of its integrity and its artistic merit like it pulls something Mm -hmm. like this off much better where it's it's it does the thing where it's a it's exploring the notion of abusing women and you know taking advantage of them and then eventually dying and not objectifying it at the same time like this movie is nuts it's it's trying to say, you know, we have to protect these girls, and then it has, it's more sort of concerned with showing strippers and nudity and right. like exploitation. So, very mixed messages uh, going on here.
0: So, this movie is set in Anchorage, Alaska in 1983. It's based on a true story, which I feel we've had before. We've had based on, I mean, we've had World Trade Center, of course. How many, one uh, of um, them Boy based on Blue. true story? Boy in blue. Any others? Wind no. uh, Yeah. Uh,
1: Wind Talkers is, is like a fictionalized version of like a true you know, based on the Navajo Code Talkers. So I, I kind of count that.
0: Right. Well, I guess also this movie doesn't say based on a true story, it says based on actual events. So that's sort of the same thing as Wind Talkers. It's, it's kind of a rarity here.
2: Well, and if you I, – I, because I was so mystified by the movie, I, I, I read a couple of interviews with the director, the writer-director af- afterwards. He had direct access to the guy, the, the real-life guy that Cage is playing here uh, who has a different name in real life. Like that guy opened up all his files to him, and they are – this is covering a 12-, 13-year investigation in two hours as though it all takes place in one, you know, in one year.
1: That explains so, so much.
2: It does, doesn't it? And, and in one of the interviews, he's he's talking about the director is talking about how much he uh, didn't want to do something like um, Zodiac, where it was month after month and all these title cards saying six months
0: later. And oh, so or, he, didn't, he didn't want to make a good movie. <laughs> yeah, he
2: didn't want to make a great movie. Zodiac is one of my favorite movies, which is why I was interested in doing this because it, you know, I have a thing for true crime and and mysteries and this this kind of stuff fascinates me. And so to see it done so so artlessly, so a lot of those choices were deliberate on the writer-director's part, you can see where, sort of from concept on, a lot of this went wrong.
0: What's really confusing about this is that it seems like it only takes place over one winter, and, you know, in Alaska that might be six months, but it's also to the point where Everybody except for Cage and Dean Norris, Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad, seems like everybody's just like sick and tired of this case. But there's no backstory for why they're sick and tired. It's just like, oh like we we've gotta move on from this. It's like, well why? Like I don't understand and they never, ever, ever set that up. Right.
1: One thing for me that was just drove me crazy early on is almost every scene is sort of this massive info dump, almost done in sort of a walking talk style or <laughs> while people are doing other things like jumper cables or, and it's distracting and hard to follow. But like you could tell they're just they're giving you all this information from these case files that they want to squeeze in because it's an actual case and they have the access mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And it's just like way too much for me. My head started spinning because I, I didn't know what facts I needed to keep in mind and what to to grab onto, really. Movies like this that are set in these types of environments tend to be slower paced and reflect the environment better and I feel like this sort right. of quick paced thing is more of a city type it's better set for like a city type environment and stuff. So, I mean, I, I was thinking of like Fargo and Insomnia and, and things like mm-hmm. that and, you know, they really try to use the environment more as like a character or to sort of just substitute talking too much, you know, for lack of, you know, anything, for lack a better way to explain it. What's also
0: weird about this movie is that I forgot for a long time it was in 1983. Like they don't do hmm. anything I really feel to prove like to to set you in that time period toward the middle of the movie. Cage is interviewing Vanessa Hudgens and pulls up that gigantic tape recorder and I was like, "Oh right, like this is 30 years ago." But like, the rest of the movie feels like it could take place in modern day, I think. Like there's nothing cool about the era. Like it's just it's like they made a movie just to make a movie. Like there's no thought. I mean, we were talking about I was just editing the uh, Season of the Witch episode and we were talking about it with Jordan. Like that movie there were just no choices made. Here I feel like there's no choices made. Like they're just like, "All right, like we have a lot of facts. Like let's just put these things together and see how things turn out." Yeah,
2: these are really good points, both in terms of the of the time period and the location, both of which could have been used in kind of fascinating ways. Like, I never imagined Alaska, uh, Anchorage, Alaska as having a seedy underbelly, as having a particularly urban area, as having cabs you can just hail on the street. And if that's all true, I think there could be a way where the filmmakers could show us how here's your perception of Alaska, and then here's what Alaska actually is. And that could be a fascinating thing if they used it, as Mike's saying, as a sort of character, no, not as a character, but as a, 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 you know, used it in the film. And the same thing is true for the time period. And maybe they couldn't afford music, you know, from the, from the 80s. And it could also make an interesting point that in, in a lot of places in the in the more rural West, even though this is in Anchorage, a place where I grew up, you know, in the '80s, parts of the town still looked, looked like the '60s, and now some parts of the town still look like the late '80s, early '90s. And I think that that could be, you know, there's a lag effect on things, and that could be interesting, and interesting to play with too. They're they're not they're not underlining anything. They're not making any choices about that.
1: Yeah, because they don't even really go far with the wardrobe or, you know, hairstyles or or anything like that. I mean, there's a few cars thrown in there, but it would have been interesting to play that up a little more just for the background subtext, you know, just to be there, just to sort of remind you once in a while. I I also don't feel it helps the way that this film is shot. Like, it's shot ultra modern, (laughs) I feel, you know, like, to the point of I almost got like a little nauseous at times because of how sort of quick cut handheld. It got
0: so i think part of the reason that the cinematography or the filmmaking or whatever is so i guess sickening or not great to look at is because the director this guy scott walker has only one other credit to his name before or after he wrote and directed some short film in 2005 so this is a guy who hasn't at least professionally in terms of what's on imdb had much experience behind the camera It's weird. I don't know where he came from. I don't know where they found this guy. It's not like a Joel Schumacher like we talked about with 8mm. It's not somebody who's sure-handed behind the camera, or with a clear sort of director's vision if this relative unknown trying to do make a make a movie
2: and from what i read from the interviews it seems like this is a passion project of his he sort of went after the true story he found the actual state trooper he got you know got all the files the first thing's i notice about this movie is that as the credits come up there are like eight production companies you know they're, they're, i think there're like 12 listed executive producers which means they cobbled the money together from all over the place to make this movie this is not a sort of you know studio movie that, that gets a, you know somebody assigned to it This is something that he or his producers or somebody piece together to get made. Uh, And sometimes those turn out to be great films and launch careers. And other times, they turn out to be movies like this.
1: That's a pretty interesting sort of insight into the making of this right there. This is a movie that should kind of work, you know, like, or at least I could see the backer having expectations, you know, you've got this true crime, true detective kind of thing going on here and, you know, Alaska, it's America, but it's also kind of foreign in a way. I mean, it's very remote. It's, it's got interesting things going for it. You've got Nick Cage and John Cusack. I mean these are big stars here and then you've got the new breed and you even got the guy from Breaking Bad here and stuff so it just feels like the director dropped the ball like that's kind of what it comes down to for me you know it's like everything was sort of in play and he's the one that it all kind of seems to come down to you know everyone's doing what he says and if you say it was a passion project this this must be the way he wanted it to come out
0: if this is the way that he wanted to come out I I do not have any interest in seeing any more movies from him I mean, we were talking a little bit earlier about how poorly this reflects women. The movie opens up with Vanessa Hudgens, and I guess her story is kind of changing, and they kind of seek out to discredit her. She is in the police station saying about how she was basically abducted or kidnapped by this guy and raped or consensually had sex. or He went above and beyond what their agreement was when she was a prostitute. In a matter of, like, seconds, the detectives and the cops turn the tables on her and make her out to be the bad guy. Like, she is this victim here, and they're like, oh, you must be a liar, like, why is your story changing? And it's like, oh, you know, in all angles, not only is she a prostitute, and this like this basic, in, uh, you know, an object for us to look down upon, but she's an object who's a liar also, and just, we, we, we can't believe anything that comes out of her mouth. Nothing about how he portrays this character is redeeming or positive.
2: And there's no explanation for why they're treating her this way. I mean, they say a couple of times that John Cusack character is an upstanding citizen, but then one of the first things that, that Cage's crew figures out is that he had a conviction, right? Uh, for, yeah. for kidnapping and raping a woman? Like, this is... there's <laughs> uh, it, and, and so, because the film doesn't provide any explanation for why these cops are being so dismissive to her, it leads me to, to believe that that's, like, the film's point of
1: view or something.
2: I don't know. I, I find this sort of... this, this, mm-hmm. this whole thing's kind
1: Yeah, this setup here was very strange to me. Uh, They had the good cop, bad cop, right? But bad cop is like super bad cop. And (laughs) I think what they want to try to say here is this guy is protecting... People, but he has the same point of view towards women as the killer does basically but he's on the right side of the law and he can kind of like not give into his urges or whatever but that's that's one thing i got setting up and then the other thing i got is like yeah they show cusack he's basically like the like honorary mayor of this town right like he just like walks into the bakery i, I suppose <laughs> he owns it or whatever everybody knows his name we're told and shown that he's like the greatest guy in the world so it's weird how they're trying to to do like this switchy type of setup like oh we're going to portray the good guys as bad guys and bad guys as good guys and then we're going to show you slowly like the truth and peel but they (laughs) just never jives or they that's not what they're going for and that's just what i was expecting
0: and I, i think they're setting it up to be some kind of major reveal right that this hometown hero this guy that everybody loves is harboring a dark secret and he's actually the killer but you almost know, just because you've seen a movie before, yeah. that there's no way that he's not the killer. Like, I mean, you know from the premise that Cage is the good guy and, his, and Cusack is the bad guy. But even without that, they just show him... The second thing they show him doing is just watching really close just animal programs where animals are killing one another. Like, this guy is... Met, like, they don't go out of their way to, like, have this be a big reveal... It, it's so weird. The other thing I want to mention real quick is that when he walks into that bakery, everybody says his name, like, hi, Bob. Hi, good morning, Bob. How you doing, Bob? And I just got a flashback all the way back to Rumblefish, where everybody said Rusty James' name. <laughs> and it's just like, we haven't had this much reinforcement as to a character's name in 30 years. But just how everybody said Rusty James every time I mentioned him, everybody here, I mean, it's the only time that I think it really happens in the movie. And maybe that's sort of a northern kind of Fargo, Minnesota, possibly Montana, I don't know, but Alaska <laughs> sort of thing, where it's like everybody knows, and like you just, you just address people by their name. But it was just sort of weird to hear his name, I don't know, 15 times in 20 seconds?
2: And it's also strange that you get what these scenes feel like such a small town, and then you get these more urban shots and, and scenes set in Anchorage, even exteriors, uh, you know, flying over the lights of the city and then down in the urban sort of area. It's schizophrenic that way, right? They are multiple mm-hmm. personality or something. Like it just, the, the, the movie does not know what it's got or doesn't know what to do with what it's got. That it's got this, what could be a fascinating premise, that, that it's got these actors all the way down to the supporting characters with some exceptions, but largely the, the cops and the prosecution, all those people are all the actors that, that have turned in great performances in, in previous films and has this great location and all of this stuff should really be working in this movie. And the fact that it's not, that just has to fall on the director's shoulders.
1: One of the things that really sticks out to me is the fact that this was supposed to take place over months or possibly years and stuff like that and it just really super condense it and it feels it that way you know and they even <laughs> they even fall back on the worst cliches you know like they just drop a line like you could tell they wrote it on the day where he where cage is like man i'm two weeks from retirement you know <laughs> they just need to <laughs> shove that in otherwise it would have been the first thing he says to his wife before he leaves in that scene with his wife right his wife would be like be right. careful like two weeks till retirement but no it just feels like like, okay, we need to sort of speed this thing up, give a reason to make this case be solved in two weeks, basically, instead, but how interesting could it have been if he was like, yeah, I've got two weeks to go, here's a case dropped in my lap, and it took him a year to finish, you know, like, that would have been much more interesting, and you see it, really dig at the guy and destroy his family life and all that kind of even his career to a point and in the end you know he turns out to be the hero like it would have been a really far more interesting way to go
0: Wait, is he retiring in two weeks or are they just moving out of alaska in two weeks
1: well, regardless, well, it's just like it's. it's it, there, there's a there's a
0: close time frame. He's, yeah,
2: he's, and he's, okay. he has a new job. He they're waiting for him to sign the papers for his new job wherever okay. he's wherever they're going, which is out of Alaska. Yeah, and you know the the thing that, that that kept striking kept striking me after I read this interview is imagine this movie if it had rather than run away from Zodiac if it had leaned into its Zodiacness that could have been the way to to make this movie and the fact that it was set in Alaska could have been enough to you know to differentiate it from, from Zodiac, you know, like use the location, use these people, tell the story in a more procedural TikTok kind of way. And I think that would have been fascinating. But instead, you get a Cindy going home, and the first thing we see when she gets home is that she's, she's lying on this bed, clutching a stuffed animal with a carton that says milk on it, with <laughs> bright red letters next to her, and watching cartoons. And you just yep. kind of go, oh... God, really? Okay, this is going to be that kind of movie.
0: One thing I want to talk about and it's sort of, I guess it's, a, it's sort of similar to that, it goes a little bit back to what we were talking about just right before that. We were talking about Cage's wife in this movie and she is this character who I mean, the whole thing is, I guess like they're showing, I guess condensing 13 years into two weeks or two months or whatever this takes place over they're showing that like she is tired, that he's so invested in the case that he has no time for his wife or his kids. And so they show it by, like, he just doesn't answer, like, you know, he doesn't call, he doesn't do this, doesn't do that. This wife's arc is basically sort of naggy, 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 (laughs) and then he brings, which is a crazy twist, Cage brings Cindy home to spend to stay there because he wants to make sure that she's safe. And the wife, rightfully so, is like, no, like, absolutely not. Like, we're not going to have this girl stay here. And then, I don't know... 15 minutes later she's like go solve that case like I know this means a lot to you it's like wait what how does that like what is this arc for this wife it's it's awful
2: it is only convenient it is, it is all out of convenience It is. It, this drove me crazy this drove me crazy that she is only there to be an obstacle to, to him and so I'm like okay so fine we're gonna just go with the fact that she so desperately wants to leave Alaska and him to leave this job like I couldn't understand how that could be a deadening thing on a relationship fine fine and then she completely turns around and said no let's stay you need to keep being a trooper and i'm gonna get my old job back and forget this life that we yeah. were gonna. like it's it makes no <laughs> sense it might make sense if it was years it does not right make now. sense over like two days
1: <laughs> yeah especially he's so close to solving the case she doesn't need to go get her job back like they're on the verge <laughs> of closing the case and like moving out of town like just you know two more weeks honey that's that's all i'm asking for you but yeah she her turnaround is crazy she's even like buying toothpaste for her and shit like that and like caring about her off screen and it's just its ridiculous <laughs> to me <laughs> but I did kind of get a kick out of because of all like this fast paced madness there's one funny ass scene to me where uh, he kind of gathers his uh, crew of troopers in you know you got like the dad from Transformers you got the brother-in-law from Breaking Bad and they're all in the room and he's like charted everything out you know like a beautiful mind and he's got like the timeline and the, the mug shots and everything going on and like I'm like Okay, I hope they stick with this idea that like now everyone thinks he's crazy or like he's off the deep end and this and that. But no, <laughs> they like totally roll with him. They're like, yeah, like we're going to go get this case reopened. We're going to go get search warrants. We're going to like, you know, we're going to bust this guy. And that's the other thing. It's like they know this guy. It's like bad lieutenant. They know this guy's responsible. They just need like proof, which is a very strange sort of setup for a thriller. Like I'm all about doing it once or twice maybe with like 7 the way they do the reveal there is interesting but the reason it worked for bad lieutenant is because of all the other madness going on in that film that made it sort of so great like it was almost like a joke that they knew who the guy did it and they just couldn't arrest him for it and here they're like doing that for real again and it's just throwing me off
0: well because like what's what's crazy is that literally 14 minutes into the movie cage knows it's cusack like, 14 minutes in, that we're like, okay, here's a guy. Like, we know as an audience, Cage knows is a cop. I mean, I guess this is 12 and a half years in, maybe, to this 13-year case, but they don't set that up. Like, we're barely into the movie, and it's like, okay, like, this is, like, we're just going to go after him.
3: Do you have anything on a Robert C. Hansen? Grabbed some girl back in 71, drove her at gunpoint, hands-bound and naked to eye Lake, and then raped her got five years he was out in three months seems he just had a run-in with a prostitute she told anchorage police the exact same story why isn't
0: this guy on our list like what doesn't make sense to me and there is that scene that you just brought up where everybody's like, where, where people rightfully should think he's crazy but they don't but these cops go back and forth so much about whether or not they're going to help him or not And then, like, at one point early in the movie, they have, like, 600 cases to go through, like, 600 missing persons cases, and it seems like only two cops want to help. Like, it's just, like, him and maybe Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad, or (laughs) maybe him, I don't, but nobody wants to help, and then all of a sudden, everybody wants to help? It's impossible to track why people want to help or don't want to help. Like, it just, it makes no sense
2: it hurts me so much that this is so poorly made I, I <laughs> it just hurts I would love to have had a crack at this along the way because I, I like I say I think it could have been it could have been so much more and I, and I do like along with the sort of you know crazy cage I like the competent professional cage I like that cage I think that he's you know he's he's owning these scenes that he's in like that's I have no, no problem with the way he's portraying and it's amazing that he's able to for me anyway to sustain that as well as he is with writing and scenes as sort of not, not even quite generic just empty a void as as so many yeah. of these are you know but as i say it just hurts me that it's that's not better made <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't feel like he's the problem at all, you know? Like you said, like he almost feels like a glue at some points, you know, in these bad films. Like, it's strange. Like In a way, though, I I do feel like I'm a little jaded on good guy Cage. Like, I was, you know, watching Stolen and thinking, man, the, the villain in that is much more... That's the meaty role. That would be a great Cage role. And then I'm watching this movie, and I'm sort of like, man, like, it would have just been nice at this point, for me, maybe, just to see him play the bad guy. Especially since the bad guy is... Sort sort of very much like The Cop. Like, Ah. they're both very reserved, have the same type of temperament. I I don't know. I think he could have pulled it off. Not better, just different. I don't know. It just, for me, it would have been a nice changeup. I've been seeing Good Guy Cage for a long time now. I have to say, my favorite part of this movie is the John Cusack uh, sort of game room scene with the first sort of major reveal of the girl Mm -hmm. in his room. That scene sort of felt like it belonged in a different movie at times. I was like, it just had Cusack this girl in a camera and he made that work and he was sort of scary at times.
0: Well, what I really like and we were talking about this off air, Mike, Vanessa Hudgens at one point tells Cage like, that she saw something in Cusack's eyes. She knew that he was evil. Like She knew that he. she got into trouble when she went with him. And it brings me back to real life and we mentioned on another podcast, it might have yeah. been the Con Air podcast, Yes, where, <laughs> where, they, where somebody was talking to Danny Trejo, and they were like, well, who are you afraid of on that set? Because you have all these big, tough guys, like, oh, John Cusack, you know, he's just dead behind the eyes. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> you know, this mild-mannered guy is capable of this, like, horrific evil, like, portraying this, like, the worst type of person imaginable. And there are flashes, like that scene, you know, like the reveal. Then there's scenes... Like the, like, the big, like, what should be, and I wrote down, I think it's like an hour and 15 minutes in, it's like the Heat moment, it's like, you know, you're hmm. watching Heat, and you're like, Pacino De Niro, alright, like, oh, yeah. we finally get it, and then the, it's like, it's gone before you realize it, like, here, you're like, alright, all movie, like, where it's gonna be Cage and Cusack, they're building toward this scene, and then it's like, oh, this is what we get? It's just, <laughs> it's awful, and like, neither of them, like, Cage is like, I, I guess he's trying to play it reserved and not lose his cool... But Cusack just seems bored, and it's just, I don't know if it's just poorly written, or it just cut weird, or what, but, like, this is the scene, like, this should be the scene if this was a better movie. Like, if this was, like, a Best Picture nominee, like, this is the scene that they play, you know, like, this is, like, yeah. this is where everything's building to. Right. And it's almost, like, the worst scene in the movie, because it's just completely devoid of all emotion.
3: In 1971, there was an incident involving a Miss Allen over in Spinard. Can you tell me what happened there, Mom? Well, um, that, um, I don't know what to say. I guess you could just call that an urge. And is that to do with what Dr. McManus said at your sentencing? I can't remember. Schizophrenic or manic depressive problems, a mental state you would sometimes go into and things would just happen, but then you wouldn't remember. Was he off base on that? Is that bothering you, Bob? hey listen whatever the problem is here i want to help you gentlemen clear it up you know but by the same token uh my lawyer always told me never to you know but i can help you clear it
1: up what's your question well, i think especially for the qsec character my biggest problem and why i feel what you're talking about also didn't work for me is that there was nothing for him to sort of hang his crazy on. Like, I didn't ever get a sense of what his trauma was. Like, why he was a killer of prostitutes. You know, why that was his M.O. and why he'd like to go out and release him into the wild and pretend like he's hunting them most dangerous game style and everything. I mean, at least in that story, the guy hunting people would, like, give them a fair advantage (laughs) of stuff and, like, make sure they were well rested and had a weapon or something. But yeah, like, we just don't know why he's twisted and evil, and I think it's why later, where he needs like it, those scenes where he's against cage i think they're supposed to rely on us knowing why he's crazy and we're like oh look at their facing off and like he's keeping this crazy secret and stuff but to me there it just it just kind of falls flat And like you said like there's just no energy there well i think
0: one of the big problems here is that it, it goes hand in hand with just not knowing his motivation as a serial killer he has a type it's the, and they say it in the movie it's like you know girls like five two five three 120 125 pounds Brown hair, real thin. They get called in on this, like, photography shoot. And then they just get... They're never to be seen again. Beginning of the movie, I wrote down that, like, the timeline of everything feels fuzzy. Like, it seems like scenes are shot in the past. Maybe they are. I have no idea. It doesn't feel like it's a, a complete narrative, like through line. It feels like we're flashing back to things and maybe flashing forward, but I don't think it is. Like I know what I know Vanessa Hudgens. That she, I've seen her in multiple movies. I know what she looks like. But this other girl, the girl that he's like actively kidnapped when she's all ratty and just chained up, like she looks so similar. I'm like, wait, is this the past? Is it like I don't understand when things are happening, which is a very bad sign. Yeah, it makes the whole
2: movie feel like. Like John Cusack kills someone every weekend. Oh, it's mm-hmm. Tuesday night. I'm gonna go out and abduct a girl and kill her. And it does such a disservice to to you know to, to the movie. And and while there are great things like the reveal of that girl, we see John Cusack alone in his den, and then and we're just with him down there playing music for a little while, and then the camera reveals that there's a girl chained up in there. Or or the fact that when he gets out gets her out to the wilderness, that they, that he does you know play the most dangerous game. Like these things that could have been even more chilling. Or that they'll sort of give you a peek into perhaps what the real life case was like that could have been used more. I don't know. It's like there's no organizing theme or there's no point of view in in the story. It's uh, it's just bumming me out. And the score. The other reason <laughs> oh, I think yes. that's the scenes between well all of the scenes really, but also the scenes between Cusack and Cage. This score is terrible. It's terrible. It's like it's almost like they they found you know free music online like free. <laughs> You know, cop music and like stuck it in the movie. I kept writing in a notes like this score is killing my buzz. I almost turned off the sound just to watch oh. some of the but the but the camera work isn't that much better, so I don't know if that would have helped
1: i I almost but. wanted them to trade scores with the movie stolen like. <laughs> Tobin I recommend Stolen it's like the best of the worst right now for me as far <laughs> okay. as cage movies like it I, it is just a blast for some reason i had so much fun wow. watching it but it's not good but yeah. <laughs> the one thing that like kept me like laughing was the music and just like how outrageously sort of over the top and out of place it would be and just like sort of inappropriate at times and here mm-hmm. i got the same vibe but it wasn't making me laugh it was just kind of making me cringe uh, it's bombastic at times and it's just these yeah. pounding strings and it's like, I get it <laughs> like I get it. Like let's just like can we have a little subtlety somewhere here.
0: What's frustrating to me is that for as poorly made as most of this movie is, there were a couple scenes that I really like and I don't know that I really like them on their own. I really like them in comparison to the rest of the movie. Like the first time we're walking <laughs> down the street in Anchorage and they're talking about it's like the host row and it's like, you know, you can get anything you want on the streets of Anchorage, it's a crazy scene, and they're just like basically like swimming through prostitutes mm. and just people like openly whatever, like just crazy stuff on the on the street. That's kind of cool. Like if like that scene feels alive, yeah. it doesn't feel real, but it feels alive. Called the track like for horses, ho stroke for the ho stroke. Everyone knows everyone. All the pimps
3: and all the other pimps. Who owns which girls? Which girls are the wild ones. Black girls are boosters. White girls are flatbacks. Good money, earning a bit can do both. In other words, not mine. It's a move and hustle. Give the least, get the most. You know, it's all about the paper.
0: Let's dance. And then toward the end of the movie, there's another scene where Cage goes to the strip club and it's set to that hair metal and he's trying to look for answers. He's looking for Cindy. And it's, again, not great, but it's so much better than everything else that came up to it that it was, like, relatively engaging. If the whole movie had been at that level, it would have been okay. It's just frustrating that so much of it is just, it's not unwatchable, it's just boring when there are these chances, like, they know how to make moderately engaging scenes. I just wish more of the movie was like that. Those scenes are by accident. That's that's the thing. Those, 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 yeah,
2: scenes, just, those, right. those scenes just happen. You know, you uh, you can feel the, the – and I, 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 I sort of hate to do this to this poor Scott Walker, who I assume is not the governor of Wisconsin, but the director of this movie <laughs> is a guy named Scott Walker. But he, he did this – I could, I could feel the first-time director behind the cameras just sort of saying, ooh, ooh, it's in focus. You know, clap, clap, clap. And then like, oh, oh, it's Nicolas Cage in my movie. That's great. And then it's like, oh, we've got a score on it. That sounds awesome. You know, like there's no, there's, there's just no artistry to it at all. So any of those things that happen that are at all interesting, I think they're by accident
1: what's amazing about that one scene in the strip club later joey first it kind of reminded me of the scene in ghost rider spirit of vengeance where it's scraping at the door and he just needs information from this guy but
0: no do not compare this to that because that is fun (laughs) no i'm just
1: saying the situation was similar but what didn't happen in that what happened here is he straight up like manhandles this woman right like basically hits this girl it just brought up more thoughts about what is going on with their theme here like you know So they want to be, you know, we're pro-woman here, but yet we have the guy trying to save the girl is beating up a girl. Like, it's just all very confusing to me. But the energy is there. And the energy is also there in the scene you mentioned where they're sort of cruising ho-ro or whatever they called it. And the one thing for me that I kind of get a kick at. Uh, one of two characters I, I really sort of focused on when they were on screen was Cage's Vice Squad buddy. This brick house of a guy. He kind of looked like the Thing to me from Fantastic Four almost. <laughs> and like he was just a wealth of information about like the hooker game and the prostitutes <laughs> and all that shit. And it was like school time when he was on screen and stuff. And my other favorite character by far is definitely whatever 50 Cent is doing in this. Oh,
0: movie. 100%. Like, as, every time <laughs> (laughs) 50 Cent was on screen, I could not look away. And I guess the movie, the filmmaker did make one decision, which was to give 50 Cent the most ridiculous wig that I've ever seen on anybody ever. It is, like, when he shows up, like, I knew 50 Cent was in this movie, because I looked through it before, but when he shows up, I'm like, oh, there's just a guy. I'm like, wait a minute. That's 50 Cent with a crazy wig. Like, what? I don't understand what is happening, why he's wearing it. He's kind of got an arc as a character, but all I can think about, all I can remember, is that wig. It's crazy. He's not only an
2: actor in the film, he's a, he's a credited producer on this movie.
1: Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he sort of seemed to me to be the only guy, like, actually in character. Like, he looked like a pimp from the 80s, right, that would sort of be stuck in the middle of nowhere. I think of the current season of Fargo, and he's sort of like the only black dude surrounded by, like, a sea of white guys, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's not nearly as good as Mike, but I give this character, like, a lot of credit for even existing in this movie. And, yeah, (laughs) I love sort of his dolomite hairstyle or whatever he's going for with the fried-out flat hair and stuff it almost has sort of a cage in bangkok dangerous feel to it to me i was like it's like the black cage almost
0: and this is another rapper in the history of cage club we had queen latifah back in bringing out the dead we had exhibit in bad lieutenant we now have 50 cent here i mean we are picking up i, oh, I told mike we had um, want,
1: uh, we have master p and gone in 60 seconds
0: we have master p i really <laughs> want to put together like a cage club like hip-hop playlist including the end song from amos and andrew because we've we've got a pretty we've got a pretty decent catalog of hip-hop stars in this in this uh, in what we're doing so far i have a question for you mike maybe i'm just forgetting but like we're, we're getting to the point like after we meet 50 cent and 50 cent i guess is vanessa hudgen's pimp this is like her first night stripping i guess she just wants to make a little bit more money is she in financial trouble in this movie or she just wants money
1: well, I took it that she was sort of like, if Travis Bickle never showed up to save Jodie Foster, like she had been a prostitute as long as, you know, as early as she could be. And just that's all she really knew and everything. So I took it more, you know, maybe I'm giving the film too much credit, but this is sort of what I imprinted onto her character. You know, just the idea that this is the life that she's always known. And, you know, to be quite honest with you, I just think this actress is way too pretty to be playing this character. Yeah. I, I feel like she should have been a little more busted it up she feels like she kind of stepped out of 2008 or something you know um yeah that's just that's just sort of where i what i saw
2: yeah i I totally agree and i I feel like i I don't care how much coke and crystal meth and stripping she does in this movie i do not buy that she's damaged like the movie is trying to tell me that she is a damaged person and that because of that she doesn't want to go home she wants to stay here and engage in this in all this these activities out of some kind of damage or trauma and i i just don't buy when she's talking about her trauma I don't believe her I see a young Disney star trying to shatter her image and I think I buy her more in Spring Breakers because she's not supposed to have had a, a traumatic past it's supposed to be oh my god this could happen to anybody you know any co- bunch of college girls somewhere like there's there's something there was some sort of point of view about a generation in that movie whereas in this I'm supposed to buy that she's this damaged, she's damaged goods I don't I don't see her psychic scars in this movie and as a result where the, where the director is telling me that her relationship with nick cage is supposed to be the sort of heart of the movie i'm not buying it because i'm not really buying her
0: well the other reason not to buy that performance is because their interactions are just terrible uh there's that one where they have well here's here's a side note mike have we ever been in a roller skating alley or roller skating (laughs) rink
1: no i wrote down roller rink because i I, feels
0: familiar right
1: it should have been a bowling alley that's why
0: it should have been a bowling alley (laughs) it's kind of a scene like damon mccready and uh, mindy right like sort of big daddy and hit girl they're sort of you know they're at this little table and he is just struggling to connect with her i don't know if it's the writing because i don't think it's the performances because we've obviously seen cage do great stuff and other things this should be a role i don't i don't know what the problem is it's a scene where he's struggling to connect with her but it feels like he's struggling to connect with her not because she's unwilling (laughs) as a character but because the script is just like oh i don't really know and i mean i've said it before you know since you brought up the first time but like toby you said on a past episode like if you want to show convey boredom you don't have to have your movie be boring here i feel like it's like the character like oh she's not gonna be cooperative so like I'm not going to give this character anything to say. It's like, no, like, have her brooding or have her something. It's just like she has nothing to say here. And it's just like, again, it should be this great meaty scene where it's just sort of, you know, he's trying to break through her cold exterior and just nobody's nobody has anything to work with.
1: I always dreamed that one day I would either be a fireman or work with animals. He's so cool.
3: Where's your family? Why you
1: want to know that shit, huh? It's just like all the other squares. I got guys asking me all the time what happened, where my folks think I'm at. You want to fuck me? Is that what you want?
3: No, Cindy, I don't.
1: You think, you think knowing makes us friends? Makes me help you? What happened to your sister? Yeah, see, fuck that. I ain't a friend. I ain't nothing.
3: I just thought if you might want to go home, maybe I could find a
2: fuck, way to... Fuck, man.
1: Are you fucking for real?
2: Yeah, all the story elements are there; they're just not used. It's it's the same as the rest of the you know, as the rest of it. I do I do think she's miscast. I think she's a fine actress. I think I think she can be great in other things.
0: I just think this was the wrong role for her. I do want to point out that this movie, as bad as it is, and especially as bad for women as it is, does pass the Bechdel test, which I guess says something about the Bechdel test, but also about maybe this movie. <laughs> That she does have that one conversation with the older stripper, or maybe, you know, the strip club manager, whoever that woman is, and they're just talking about, you know, female power. So there is, to pass the Bechdel test, there is a conversation between two women about something other than a man, so this passes that, but... although that's that's sort of the bright spot what they're talking about is how to strip for men so yeah well it's
2: supposed to be in the most technical sense it's not talking about it's not talking about a man it is talking about how to objectify yourself for men and and not in a way that feels like really empowerment so yes i suppose that's true i had not thought about that in the strictest definition this does passed the Bechdel test, but I doubt that that would stand up in in Bechdel court.
1: Yeah, I think you need to have, like, your clothes on to pass that test, too. Like, they're in their underwear for that scene, and I was just, like, sort of scratching my head, like, right, I don't know, is she gonna be the mentor now? I don't really know what's going on here, but I'll roll with it. I don't understand why this prostitute's back on the street, if she knows her killer's out there hunting other prostitutes that look exactly (laughs) like her. Uh, I don't know why Cage is trying to identify with her or connect on a Deeper level when all she really is is just a witness he needs to protect or put into protection. Could understand if they went with the time jumps, you know, them bumping into each other a few years later, a few months down the line, or whatever, what have you, you know, her turning and wanting to help. But the movie's struggling to tell this story to me. The elements are there. It just feels watching it like they don't have enough to say they're stretching and reiterating and just sort of running around in circles until the end comes
0: this actually brings up another point that i want to make this sort of this scene and i think they're they're struggling to connect and like there's just there's there's issues here with the script and between the characters and everything part of that issue at least in terms of the story is because cage won't tell vanessa hudgens about his sister so i'm glad that for the third time i think cage has a sister Mm -hmm. but again here a she's dead but B, she's also just an object, right? Like, she's just this thing that propels them forward and is ultimately what helps Vanessa Hudgens open up to Cage. When he finally tells her about his sister, she start, she finally starts talking to him. Again, like, you know, sister's not a very prevalent theme in Cage Club. This is only the third time in 71 episodes that he's had a sister. <laughs> and here, I mean, she's a dead object. Like, it's, it's horrible. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it kind of felt like unnecessary. I didn't feel like Cage was a haunted man by anything. I feel like you give the dead sister to Cusack, and you make her a short brunette, and that's why he's like killing these brunettes because he's reliving his sister's death. I don't know. I'm just thinking about this now. You know, it's just coming out of me on the fly. <laughs> but I just don't feel like that was necessary to gain deeper insight into his character. Like I sort of just saw him as at first the reluctant hero type, right? He was about to move on from this place and now he's sucked back in and then this job becomes an addiction and like he can't quit it. And I, That was plenty for me. I didn't need this dead sister stuff.
0: Can we talk about the scene where she runs into the moose on the street? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, North, northern the northern exposure, exposure scene. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, a, I have a, a few different options. I want to know what's most likely. Number one, is this a metaphor for something? And again, like a couple other movies lately, I feel like the movie's not smart enough for this to be a metaphor. Number two... Is it like something surreal or a dream sequence? Or number three, which I feel like knowing this film is maybe most likely, do you think that they were filming and like, oh, there's a moose on the street, like let's just shoot a scene around it. <laughs> like what what is this scene about?
1: at first it wasn't even i wondered if that was a cgi moose and that's where all the money went and then (laughs) i sort of (laughs) realistically started trying to think about it and i was like joey you're exactly right like i was like oh they're probably right about to start shooting something else or just finished and someone was like hey hey like look at this there's a moose like go run in front of it and like we'll just use it if it comes out and like let's that's awesome like it's just artistic flair we could throw it in anywhere and make it mean anything we want to when we're explaining it
2: it comes from because this jump Got me in the some of the interviews that i was reading with the director where, where he and he sort of throws it away a little bit but um if you'll bear with me he i read from this just just a couple sentences uh, first of all he's talking about that roller skating scene and he says they didn't go to skate land they went to chuck e cheese now just pause can you imagine the chuck e cheese version of that scene like sure. in real life cage took cindy to, to chuck e cheese like <laughs> okay then then he says she would see moose and bizarre things in the snow and that's all that he says. So what what that what that means to me is that she mentioned once casually to the to, to the real life trooper that she once saw a moose in the snow, and they're like, "Oh yeah, let's throw
3: that in the movie,"
2: you know? Like <laughs> yeah. the, the 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 thing that came to my mind was, do you, you know, the movie Collateral, the Michael Mann movie, yeah. where at one point in the night they're driving in the um, cab. And these coyotes cross the road in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. And it's a sort of haunting image. And it's something that actually happens. And just like this moose, you know, but that is so feels like such a part of the of the fabric of the film. And this moose, you're totally right. The first thing I wrote down was Northern Exposure because it just feels like it's thrown in for no reason except that, you know, oh, cool. It's a moose.
1: You know what could have been cool? When these girls are sort of kidnapped and captured, they're kept in Cusack's game room, and he's got all these animal heads all around the room, right? It would have been interesting if they somehow linked it to part of her trauma of being there, like, oh, these animals on the wall are starting to come real, and she sees them, and like she's gonna be, she could have been one of them, or something. Or, or they could have had the moose without a head, or something. Don't know why I'm trying to justify the moose, but um, <laughs> it's just kind of fun, too, now, because of just how like, incredibly ridiculous it is.
2: Yeah, this is what the moose is a metaphor for. It's the metaphor for all of the wasted opportunities in this movie because <laughs> they could you're right. They could have done something with the moose to make it
0: to make it work in the movie. Uh, and it is it's just weird. like it comes out of nowhere and then it's never referred to again. And I guess the playing it into the game room makes sense. It's just uh, not a fan, not a fan. <laughs> um, then, toward the end of the movie, I just wrote down. John Cusack hires Boba Fett to find Cindy. Like he just, (laughs) he hires this bounty hunter. He's just like, okay, go find Cindy, and then he's just off. There's things that like should be, I guess, big twists or reveals. He corners Fifty Cent, and he's like, you're going to help me, or I'm going to kill you. And Fifty Cent's like, all right, you got a man, you got it. And then Fifty Cent like backstabs him. It's like, of course, like that's just sort of that's what this type of movie does. Like I don't know if it's just because the movie just feels cliche. But nothing that happened here, and there are a couple sort of twists or tense moments, nothing feels surprising to me.
2: No, as the movie plays out at the end, there's virtually no surprise. And that, that whole section where he where, <laughs> like the idea of sending Bubba Fett out after after Cindy, because it, it feels like, okay, we need to have a chase. We need to have some tension. We have to have some guns. What's happened is they have Cusack in custody. That's sort of it, right? Like, in terms of the... Uh, some of the tension has gone out of the movie at this point. And also because, as you say, the scenes between Cage and Cusack are not great when, when he is... Caught. So it all feels sort of manufactured, right? This whole this whole ending thing feels sort of paint by numbers and manufactured in a way that, that I'm that I'm really checking
0: out at this point. One thing I did really like is that there is the one scene where Cage closes in on Cusack at an airport. And I'm like, oh, come here, air. like airplanes, airports, two of them. <laughs> all right, like that's like that that excited me, even though they just like he doesn't he's not like he's close, but not really that close. That's the only scene toward the end of the movie that I really actually liked. There's one thing I did like at the end.
2: Early in the film cage has met with the sister of one of one of Hanson's victims and she Mm -hmm. gave cage this bracelet that she says has is a perfect match to one that her sister was wearing when her sister went missing and they believe was killed by, by Hanson. Um, so he, she gives him this this bracelet that she's got. And so you know this bracelet's going to come back. Well then when it gets to almost at the end of the movie and I forget who, one of Cage's lieutenants is telling him that see, or Cage is telling him, F- find this bracelet. Do you find one that matches this? And they say no, we've not found anything like that. And you think, oh, okay, so that's it with the bracelet then. And then the, the way that he uses the bracelet in the, he pretends then to John Cusack that this bracelet is the one that one that they found which is one of the things that gets him to crack gets, and, and confess and I thought that was kind of a neat thing that's a trick I might steal sometime because it was kind of a, a kind of a neat
0: misdirection based because I don't think anybody will have seen this movie um, well, it's, kind, uh, it's kind of like planting evidence in a, in a weird sort of way yeah, but totally. not but weird also what's weird about that scene is that do they normally just open a door no. and show <laughs> like, <laughs> no. like so, oh, no. so cage is cage is grilling cusack in a really boring scene that we talked about before and I wrote down is there tension here? I can't tell and then (laughs) Cusack is like he's starting to crack and then they just open the door and Vanessa Hudgens is just standing there and then Cusack <laughs> goes ballistic. And I'm like, wait, you can't do that. Like, wh- I don't there is no way. Yeah. No way that that's actually how it happened in 1983. Like there is no way that that's how it happened. But in this movie, it's like this scene that you're like, oh, like Cusack dropping a hard C and just like flipping out, like, I should have killed you when I had the chance. And it's like, oh, like this is just so he could freak out so it can make it for the movie. In a movie full of things that like are not hard to believe, but like hard to get behind. This is like the most hard to believe thing like there is no way this would have happened I'm
3: going to ask the district attorney to petition the governor to reinstate the death penalty With all the bodies we'll find he'll get it So if you don't want to tell us the truth now We can't help you then You can threaten me You think you can threaten me You think you know who I am You don't have any idea who I am You little cunt You think you can threaten me with this little whore Bob take it easy I should have killed you when I had the chance No, it
2: it becomes a a Law & Order episode.
1: Yeah, this last entire act is just weird to me. I mean, because like he's like... they Like, I did mention Seven before where they catch the guy early, but this is like, are they trying to do that here? Like, this is not coming across as clever or interesting. The movie kind of, for me, grinded even further to a halt once they caught the guy and, like, arrested him. I'm like, what are they even charging him with? You know, they're searching his house. Like, that's going on for days. This is so boring. Like, what is happening? Like, I'm just... (laughs) like i've waited for cage and cusack to square off like joker and batman or something i just wanted tensions to get high and blood to boil and all that kind of stuff and like it's just weak and like i'm just kind of disappointed here and it's great when cusack does you know finally lose it albeit out of like the most illogical circumstance (laughs) i could imagine it just feels like we got to wrap this up like let's get this going like even further to that point the movie doesn't even really feel over right like they drop all this text at the end and rush through what looks like film yeah. sequences and just have like still frames and i'm like they're just like tired <laughs> of making this thing they just want to release yes. this yes. and get it over with
0: well it gets super super long ordery like i think like you just said during the interrogation scene cage makes i don't know three or four phone calls to their hat to cusack's <laughs> house like have you found anything yet they're like no we haven't found anything yet and, like he goes back and like asks him two more questions then makes another phone call like it is crazy But apparently they're going to charge him with insurance fraud. Or, like, they have a warrant for insurance fraud. They're going to charge him with murder, but the murder charge isn't going to stick. And it's like, oh, like... But you like you know this is the guy just like just keep an eye on them like don't let him get away like I, I, I don't know it's the whole th- the whole end just seems it is rushed but also like way too long I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what the appropriate <laughs> length of the end should be but it's not this whatever it is
1: well, I think it's like I was trying to say earlier where they don't seem to feel like they have enough story so they're really stretching certain things out too long or you know like I just feel like Cusack should have been released and they needed to go back to the house and like find that stupid map behind his bed that, you know, oh, by the way, boss, what was that about? I was like, there's this one piece of evidence I forgot to show you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> oh, was yes. a fucking magic piece of evidence? Oh, thank <laughs> yes. you. Now we can put this guy away. I His, my his
0: wife said that he read it every night before bed. Like, wait, first of all, why is that a thing? Also, why is his wife never in this movie? <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, yeah, she's scene, in yeah. one dinner scene, right? Like, yeah. and she's a tall blonde girl, so she's completely against, like, his type that he goes and murders, you know, so had absolutely no murderous intent towards her whatsoever.
2: Yeah, this is, I bet, where if you could read the actual case files of what how this case actually was broken at the end, I bet that would be so much more fascinating th- than the sort of TV shorthand that they do here. This is all again. This is almost criminal now <laughs> what they're doing
0: to the story at this point. As bad as it is, you know, I just love it whenever it happens in the movie. I like at the very end of this movie that they fit in sort of the titular line that Cage says something along the lines of the ground may be frozen now but come spring I'm going to look at every one of these spots I'm like yeah like if, he doesn't say the frozen ground but it's close enough to get me excited so in a movie where I really wasn't excited about anything hearing a titular line twisted around a little bit was all I needed
3: Bob Bob I can't stop it you, your family the media the ground's frozen now but come every summer when the snow and the ice melt I'll keep going until I checked every last mark
2: I love that that's the highlight for you of this movie. <laughs>
3: that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing.
1: Uh, my absolute favorite part at the end here, you know this is just one of those real-life details they put in because it's just so obscure and bizarre. So the guy was sentenced to 461 years plus life? Plus life, like, Yep. 461? Like, that just... Is that just, like, a? did they add up all the time, like, each individual murder would account to? It just seems, like, so yes. silly. Okay, because it just came well, across yeah, as, like, silly to <laughs> me, because they didn't round it down or anything.
0: Well, because they talk about how just kidnapping and killing one girl could get them 99 years. Like, they mentioned that at one point. And so I guess this is just, you know, it's, it's X plus Y plus Z plus whatever, and that just gets 461 years plus life.
1: Yeah, yes, I just and... feel like they could have said he spent the rest of his life in prison. It's just like one of those extra real-life details. Like, why why throw that in now when we've been taking liberties this whole movie? Exactly. Just say he got 1,000 that... years, or, like, they, they put him in jail on the moon. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, you're so right. If the rest of the movie had been the Zodiac version of this movie, then give me 461 yeah. years plus life. As it is, it's like now you're going to get technical and specific and, and real all of a sudden after after the map shows up like this and the, like y- yeah you, you can't you can't play it both ways
0: quite so blatantly the other weird thing is that at the very end they go through and they you know as they're doing this they're saying what happened to cage's character what happened to this character what happened to that character then they have the vanessa hudgens character they're like this is the first time she's ever told her story and it's like well is she really telling the story i mean she's not the one telling the story <laughs> they're just basing this on like the cases I don't understand. Well, I think they're just
1: trying to say like, unlike Dragnet, like, her name maybe hasn't been changed to protect her innocence. I I know, like, this whole time here's the biggest twist. Like, that's really her real name? I don't know, maybe? It it was just kind of super depressing when the whole sort of row of pictures came up there at the end, too. Like, that was, I understand they were trying to go for tribute, but it just like, kind of depressed me.
2: Yeah, again, it's like, to my mind, it sort of does a disservice to their memory that, that, that it's at the end of this movie, that the these names show up, you know? Like, it's like they're trying to borrow from real life in a way to make the movie. F- seem better than it was
1: Yeah I I think of something like World Trade Center Also based on true events Okay and you can tell With that film they tried to take as few Liberties as possible almost to a fault Right like at some At some times but it works so much better Than this because they have faith in The content of the story And everything or just they know that they have Very few beats and very few elements But they believe in it enough to make it work And to make it interesting and not make it Boring whereas this just ends up sort of fumbling
0: it. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Always love when when we get a Joey groan at the end of an (laughs) episode.
0: So there's not a lot of trivia, believe it or not, about this movie online. I didn't do any research in terms of the interviews or anything like that, so I'm glad we got that little bit of backstory from the two of you. Uh, The only real cage connection here, well, actually, there's two things I want to point out. There's a couple of background actors that have been in other things The big one is Kevin Dunn, back from Snake Eyes. Kevin Dunn, (laughs) most notably, in my mind, recently at least, from Veep, plays an amazing character Mm -hmm. on Veep. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is that early in the movie, when we first meet up with Hank Schrader, who, by the way, they, they call Anchorage Police Department APD, and they call the Albuquerque Police Department APD, and so I mean he's he. I know he was DEA, so it's not like he was APD, but just you know moving from Breaking Bad to this similar sort of naming institution. But anyway, the first time we meet him, it's on a beach, and it's like a wintry beach, but it's still on a beach. So you know we get a little bit of a cage connection here back to the beach. That's good. That's all I got, though. I got nothing <laughs> else about this movie. Well,
2: you know, with, with a year after this. Kevin Dunn plays the major on True Detective for a season uh, as well. Yeah. Like it's a, a similar kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, the, the only other trivia that I wanted to to throw in here was that in his, in some of these interviews, the director was talking about. I kept reading them because I couldn't believe what was coming out of his mouth. But he was saying things like they were shooting fourteen pages a day. Now, in, 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 in yeah, and in, if if those of you who aren't aren't filmmakers or, or have not made movies before. You know, on a feature, you a busy day where you'll shoot three or four pages. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so it was. They were doing something like forty-seven camera setups per day on on this movie. Now, again, you're you know, a big day is is twelve. You know so 47 is and he and he says in these interviews like the crew looked at him like he was a little crazy and he said but you know i'm making my movie and it's like oh my god you there's no i can't imagine that you could make anything with much artistry if you're trying to if you're trying to shoot 14 pages in a day which shows you i think makes it clear why there's no not more artistry in the film they were just grabbing stuff as fast as they could get now i'm sure a better a better filmmaker could make a better film that way but it didn't happen here so was this shoot like nine days like how how long was the shoot? It was 26 days, but by the end, they only had about three and a half hours of daylight, so they had to oh. be shooting. You know, like, they had to be working around that schedule as well. And I think that they were pretty strapped for money. There are 33 credited producers on this movie. Jeez. <laughs> 33 and one of them i so 50 cent is is the one that shows up first in alphabetical order because of course his name starts with a number but there's somebody with the last name of gandhi on the list too and like i don't know who all these people are but it would be kind of fascinating to sort of go through and see see whatever everybody else has has done but yeah they had to cobble the money together from all over the place and then had to shoot this thing insanely fast like tv does not shoot for you know only only soap operas shoot Shoot that fast!
1: It got me thinking while you're talking. Like they should. I recently saw a great documentary called Giuseppe Makes a Movie, starring this filmmaker Giuseppe Andrews. And like, this is a kid, you know. Granted, he makes a certain type of film on the super cheap, but like, <laughs> you know, that's the type of guy who shoots like a movie in two days, like 14 pages before noon for Giuseppe Andrews. But like, in a Nick Cage movie with John Cusack telling this story and everything, like, slow down, auteur. Like, take a breath. You know, like the movie's not going anywhere. You know, like it just. feels Feels like yeah. he couldn't help himself to make this thing, and it shows through unfortunately. And it's just too bad because he had the material, he had a shot, it just doesn't fly.
0: Any last thoughts for either of you? No, <laughs>
1: uh, no. I mean, I guess it's kind of fitting that we finally officially have gotten to straight to DVD territory here and it makes sense like i understand why this one kind of had to skip theaters and get dumped on demand or or whatever its fate is i see that you know and then you know movies like stolen or you know seeking justice and like those things those i i they had merit they had you know i could see why people gave those a chance over something like this the the competency just isn't even here in the filmmaking style form technique like it's all just sort of missing
0: nothing nothing redeeming about this movie really
2: you know the the most fun i had with this movie was reading the interviews with the director afterwards there's a great one on collider.com that you can find just by just by googling scott walker director of frozen ground i would suggest if you have seen this movie that you go and and read those interviews he talks about future projects and wants to do some kind of werewolf thing and stuff like it's (laughs) that's that is i got more of a chuckle out of that more of a high out of that than i experienced in, in this movie
0: oh man so i guess you know but there's nothing attached to him on imdb yet so i don't know if he's trying to scrape together funds or what but i mean i guess like mike was saying you know go go the giuseppe route just you know find a bunch of homeless people or trailer park people and just shoot your own werewolf movie like that's just what you got to (laughs) do
2: yeah i suppose Um, i suppose i don't want to watch it though
0: uh i mean i would watch it i would 100 percent watch it (laughs) i wouldn't i wouldn't enjoy it but i would watch it uh but tobin thank you for coming back you'll be back before too long i think actually our next
1: movie possibly
0: uh you're back is joe our next movie
1: um, I believe so. I can't really check the the list right now.
0: Yeah, let me yeah, so so Tobin, thank you for coming back. You'll be back for our next movie, which is Joe. We're taking a little bit of break. We're recording this around the new year, so we're going to take a little bit of break. But the next episode you hear will once again have Tobin and I can tell both of you because mm-hmm. I don't think either of you've seen it, that Joe is hands down, an incredible movie, like one of the best cage movies period. Uh, I don't want to oversell it, but like it's like he's great in it and like it's just a really good movie. So as rough as this one was to get through, that one is going to be on the other end of the spectrum, and I'm very excited to talk about it. I can't wait. So thank you for stopping by for this train wreck of a movie.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. It's it's always fun to have these conversations, and I, I look forward to more, whether the movies are good or not so good.
0: And I feel like train wreck is even maybe too strong of a word because a yeah. train wreck would be fun to watch. Maybe, <laughs> this is just not – this is just like a <laughs> –
1: Train wreck implies that there was some kind of action at some point. It was just (laughs) yes, (laughs)
3: yes,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. So, for all things cage, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews, find past podcasts, follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. All things cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski,
1: and I'm Mike Manzi,
0: and that was Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next time on Cage Club.